Hey, witches. Welcome back to the Witch the Vote podcast with Paige and Erica. I'm Paige. I'm Erica. And we're coming to you on this rainy day with a very special episode. But first, we just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's taken the time to rate us five stars and leave comments and reviews. Um, It really helps other rad political witches find us. So please keep it up. Get your coven involved. Thank you so much for helping us grow our network. We really appreciate it. And it helps us make really cool episodes like this one right here. Yeah, we are so excited. I don't think we've ever been more excited for anything in our entire lives. Just in general. Just fair to say that. Um, Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast. We are very honored that she uh, came in to chat with us. And that is mayor of Witch City, Kimberly Driscoll. Our forever favorite who just supports everything that we want her to and is super vocal and opinionated and supportive. And you might have seen her recently in the Twitterverse or gracing the CNN airwaves with her fantastic clapbacks to the alleged president's comparison of his impeachment proceedings to the Salem 1692 witch trials. She had some very sobering remarks. Yeah, she was like, not on my watch. Um, So we talked to her a little bit about that um, and about what it's like to be mayor. Um, And yeah, she's a Leo. Of course she's a Leo. She, she, she does her Leo brethren proud, I think. She does. She's brought so much golden Leo light <laughs> to Salem. Um, she really turned our finances around. She got us a green community status. She's always um, repping things on the state level, too. So we were very lucky that she took time out of her busy day to meet with us. So we hope that you enjoy this interview. Um, thank you again to Mayor Kim for joining us. So, Mayor Kim, CNN correspondent, <laughs> um, what what my I really wanted to know was what was your immediate reaction? Like, where where were you when you found out that President Trump had compared his impeachment proceedings to the witch trials? Yeah, not shockingly, I was in my office, right? And this was not the first time it had come up because a a week earlier, Senator Lindsey Graham had said something similar, not the exact quote, but really referencing the witch trial victims. And I had said, this has got to get called out. There's There's a really big pivot from calling something a witch hunt and then claiming you're being treated worse than witch trial victims. And so um, somebody retweeted it and, and sort of tagged me in it. And that's that was just the, pretty much the same response that um, was offered to Senator Graham at that time. This one, this one definitely took on a little bit of life of its own, for sure. Definitely. Can, so can you share for our listeners that might not be as intimately familiar with the, the 1692 trials as we are, 
what is the difference? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it was just it needed to be said that you can't claim you're being treated worse than innocent victims. Part of, I think, anyone who lives in Salem and certainly the mayor is to make sure we're honest about that history. We, you know, we certainly want people who come to Salem to know that these were innocent victims. They did nothing wrong. And there's a the big part of the lesson from the witch trials is actually going to ensure that President Trump and everybody else gets a fair trial, a fair hearing. And this, there's just no relationship to a televised, you know, impeachment inquiry and a Senate trial that will be watched by millions and, you know, with lots of opportunity for evidence to be presented to what happened here in 1692. And it just needs to be said. You can claim witch hunt. You can talk about using those terms, but you can't claim you were treated worse than witch trial victims. Right. My favorite part was when you um, offered the suggestion of a history book for his um, okay, that was holiday snarky. present. That was probably a little snarky. <laughs> we love snarky here, though. But I think he does need a history lesson well, in this right. area. I mean, this isn't the first time that he has, you know, invoked the, the witch trials for his own personal, um, you know, validation, shall we say. And yeah, I mean, it's like, Maybe the only, like, historical event he knows about, but doesn't even really know about it, right? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, fall into the category of misunderstanding what happened during the witch trials. But there's not many people who claim they're being treated worse than witch trial victims, <laughs> right? right? Which, like, so, spoiler alert, like, they were treated very poorly. <laughs> right, right. So the interesting part about um, this whole thing sort of going viral was the number of descendants mm-hmm. who, you know, right away were just saying, like, thank you. Like, yes, this was offensive. And to, like, twist, you know, their legacies in a way to benefit yourself or make you feel that you're the victim um, just needed needed to be called out. Absolutely. It's like there's no group he hasn't offended at this point, you know? He um, appears to be the equal opportunity offender in many regards. Um, And this was just one opportunity to make sure people knew what really happened here, what transpired, that it's not okay to claim that you're being treated worse than folks that had no rights at all. And were really, um, you know, often ostracized different women, some of whom were economically disadvantaged and and, you know, their voices were just being being quieted. And, and here is the most, you know, most influential person in our country. Right, the exact opposite right? of the president <laughs> who's being held accountable in a very, like, public yep. way by the system of checks and balances that he's supposed to be defending. Right. For Nobody's, sure. As, as, much as, as much as the alleged president might haunt some of our dreams, nobody's citing spectral evidence in right. the impeachment proceedings. <laughs> no, I would expect that from the other, from, from that side. Right. Actually, for sure. No, absolutely. If anybody is going to start saying that somebody is, you know, attacking them oh, it's with McConnell. energy. <laughs> it's Mitch A thousand percent. Well, we really appreciate your sobering (laughs) um, response to it. And I mean, it's really on brand for you. I mean, you're a very no-nonsense kind of lady and kind of politician. And that's sort of why you initially wanted to be mayor of Salem, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm really fortunate. This is an amazing city. You guys know this because you're here. Um, The history, it's an embarrassment of riches. We just talked about the witch trial history, but we know there's so much more here in addition to that. And to be living in a place where such extraordinary figures lived before us and did amazing things, you really um, have to recognize the opportunities that you have. So 
for me, it's just like sort of being a steward, right? I think anyone who's in, in a position like mine knows there were, there were certainly people before me. There will definitely be people after me. And just how do you do your part to uh, to make things a little bit better while, while you're in while you're in the role? This is your 14th year it that is. you're going Heading into? 2020 will be 15. Wow. Right? Yep. Wow. That's... What's what's the gift for the 15-year anniversary? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> really? We'll, we'll figure right. it out. We'll send it yeah, to you. Yeah, we'll send it over. Check the podcast notes to find out what the 15-year anniversary gift is. <laughs> is there anything that's, like, really changed in the 14 years? Geez, I think so much. I mean, I think social media, we're talking about that, totally. is one big change that was barely, you know, a blip. Um, certainly when I was first running for office and now it's a, I mean, it's a big way to get information out. It's a big way to get misinformation out. So it's just something that you need to wrestle with and be aware of and work with and use. And, um, I think it's, um, changed the way people expect information as well, like instantaneous. Um, so there's, there's, I mean, technology has certainly changed for sure. I think people's expectations have changed in, in, in because of the fact that things are so quick. Um, and I think cities are fortunate that they, you know, can turn things around pretty quickly, too, in, in, in terms of communicating with residents. It's a great Yeah, tool. Salem has a vibrant, shall we say, like uh, social media. I say engaged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> engaged. Yes, engaged, vibrant. Sometimes too much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it definitely gets intense in these Facebook groups. I like to think it's because people really give a damn. Like they really yeah. care about this place. And so it is a higher responsibility and a higher sort of honor um, to recognize that this isn't just any place USA. And, no, it's and, really right? special here. Yeah. It really is. I This will be my 10th year here. And um, yeah, it's just so special. I mean, when I when I thought about moving away after grad school, I was like, I can't be away from Salem. Right? It gets a hold of you. It and really does. Then it just becomes this place where um, you you can you can have this range of people that you know in your life. You can have terrific experiences. Um, so and we could go on with our Salem love for a long <laughs> true, period of true. time. Totally. But um, but well, it, it does get a hold of you, and it's a special place for it's sure. It's very well run. We try. I mean, I think having an engaged community means that it's not just like my job to make sure we have good government or doing things well. Like we really rely on a lot of people who are here, whether they're, they're serving on a board or commission or investing in our community, like really cool business owners and <laughs> pop ups. And like we're part of an effort to make better things happen here. And and we really rely, frankly, on lots of people beyond just those of us collecting a paycheck from the city of Salem to make Salem special. So, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of influence over what happens with our everyday lives, right? A lot of people look to the White House and what's going on on a national scale to kind of gauge what the the social and political tone is. But when you start to dig into a city level, it's, I mean, it's really happening in City Hall, right? I really feel like local government is where it's at, not only because of the madness in Washington or the State House, all the places that you think about that are partisan and it just takes too long to get things done um, can be frustrating, but also because it's the place where um, government most influences your life, right? Educates your kids, keeps your neighborhood safe. It's the place you make memories, whether it's Winter Island, Waikiki Beach at Winter <laughs> Island. My kids think that's the only Waikiki Beach, which I think is hysterical. Um, or, you know, that, that downtown corner where, you know, you propose to your your husband or wife, right? And so 
you know, local government for me gives us an opportunity to really, in a meaningful way, uh, do what I do what I enjoy and what I'm really fortunate to be able to do. Well, that leads into my next question. So I frequently make the joke that when you are ready to move on, I would like to take over. (laughs) So can you tell me like what my job would actually like, what would I actually be doing? Yeah, it's not as glamorous as most people think it is. Right. Um, A lot of it is really administrative functions. I always think of it as um, there's three key things. One is making sure the trains run on time, like not thankfully, not literally right now what's going on in our state, but (laughs) essential services, right? You you need to make sure those are happening, whether that's, uh, you know, plowing streets, picking up trash, the things that people rely on, and then always looking to continuously improve those. So you're responsible for those services. And you also want to have a culture where we're looking to get better. And then that third thing is what's that big breakout vision for your community, whether it's an economic vision, um, a signature project or proposal or a place where you want to be, and then doing that backwards planning. Because even in local government, it takes longer. It's harder than you guys know, having sat through public hearings mm-hmm. for zoning changes and things like that. It's there's Even the easy stuff isn't easy. And so really trying to sort of think strategically around how are we going to achieve that? Salem will be turning 400 in 2026, right? That's six years away now. And what do we want for our community then? And I'm not talking about a big party. We're good at big parties. Like we will throw, <laughs> ba-boom, right? But what what are our expectations? What's, where's our values at? Is there something that we expect to have for kids who are starting kindergarten this year that, you know, by the time they're out of elementary school or kids in high school, by the time they're graduating, what Salem will they be graduating into? And we need to go get it now. And it's work, man. It's really hard. Yeah. Building consensus and getting people on the same page and lining up their resources. And um, that's that's what being a mayor is. So you you can do it for sure. <laughs> cool. What was your path like to becoming the mayor? I mean, you and I are both distinguished Salem State alum. Go Vikings. <laughs> Go Vikings. Um, so what, I mean, what was your training like? How do you learn how to yeah, be a totally. mayor? No, that's a really good question because I think a lot of people, and I would say perhaps maybe even in our community prior, at least prior to my serving, it, it was sort of a popularity contest in a lot of places. Like, oh, who's been around the longest? Whose turn is it? Um and without regard for, like, we're a $140 million budget, right? There's real dollars, real planning, real um, professionalism that goes into managing a city. And my path came through that. Um, I was a, I was a deputy city manager and a city solicitor, chief legal counsel for the city of Chelsea. So I, you know, I was an intern in our planning department when I went to college. So I, I really got the bug for local government. Um, and I, I think it shouldn't be lost on some on anybody that it's not just about who's been on the council the longest or who's been, um, you know, who was the high school class president 20 years ago. Um, not to say that those folks can't make really great, you know, civic leaders and terrific city leaders, but you do need somebody with some skills. There is a business to this. There is leading people. There's a thousand employees that work for the city. So there's real effort that needs to go into and into it and a real willingness to learn, continue to learn. I learn something new every single day in this job. And I've been in municipal government for decades. And it's still like, wow, really? <laughs> so um, so that I think is a for me anyways, it was my path, like looking at this in a in a professional approach. And I try to bring that aspect to being mayor. So it's not just 
kissing babies and, you know, sticking your finger up and then figuring out which way the wind's going and going in that direction, which can get you in trouble when you're not like that, I've decided. Oh, but yeah. um, it can be a little lonely. But um, <laughs> that's the you got to wake you got to sleep at night, right? You got to yeah. wake up and you got to sleep at night. 100%. So, yeah. It's interesting because like as I've come of age, like I'm 37. So the first election that I voted in was in 2000. So I like still carry the trauma from that. But it's interesting yep. because just we needed since... more of you to vote in 2000 <laughs> at that age. Yeah. So, I mean, what I've noticed over the last, what, you know, 20 years almost is this real shift away from like the best person to do the job to like the whole like guy I want to have a beer with. Um, that obviously we've taken to a real extreme by, you know, electing a reality TV star mm. um, president. So it's just interesting because. Like I sit on a few committees and boards and it's true. There's a, there, the layers and layers and like many, many people and many, many like layers of expertise and like, you know, zoning and laws and, and just like all of that stuff. You really have to be a really savvy, educated, aware person um, to do that just on the, you know, not just on the city um, government level, but uh, you know, it's just such an interesting phenomenon. It really is. I think um, I think some of it comes down to like civics as well. Like you're not going to, I'm not an expert in everything, right? I can't be, right. nobody is, right? But you want to be able to rely on some really important values that you're going to ensure as part of your culture at City Hall and then hire really smart people to work with you and go like right. sort of go get those things. And I, I think sometimes that gets lost as you move higher up or we elect people who we think can get elected versus who could really do a good job. Right. And like there's a vast difference between campaigning and governing. And if you're an excellent campaigner, you may not be really good at governing and you can be great at governing and lousy at campaigning. And, and so it's that combination <laughs> Uh, of trying to find somebody who can certainly be good at both. Um, when you think about these presidential campaigns, just running a presidential campaign, right, of that magnitude, this nationwide, you know, grassroots efforts. Right, right. Like running, raising the money, setting up the organizational strength, um, really putting it in place for any of these candidates, any of these upper tier candidates. Pretty impressive. Are they all good at governing? Like, I don't know, right? <laughs> so. We live in interesting times, as they say. <laughs> right. Interesting is the word. Well, and, and we say a lot. I mean, with the we're all familiar with the demographic of people who are representing in office and the demographic of people who are voting. And a lot of them are older and white and wealthier than we are. And I mean, eventually we're going to have no choice but to be in charge. So it's kind of like we got to figure all this out now. Well, and, and eventually we have to like have a sustainability plan, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, what's the line of succession look like? How are we helping those, bringing them up um, who may not have as much experience putting people like I really pride myself on wanting to hire young professionals um, and work to make them as good as they can be. And when they go off and leave, which is always hard, it's fantastic to see them doing something else someplace else and doing it at high levels. And you don't necessarily see that in politics, particularly in um, elective office, when you think about the age of some of our elected leaders nationally. Um, and certainly when you think about 
you know, you guys have been in, in our council chambers for public hearings, and it is older, whiter, more affluent than our community in general is, and doesn't always represent our community profile. But those those decision makers are being influenced by folks sometimes who are there. We've got to find another way to get people engaged without sitting for in a three-hour public hearing <laughs> um, on a Thursday night you know, at this set time. <laughs> um, and I'm not exactly sure how to do that because it's meaningful stuff. Like you do need to hear. Yeah. It needs to be a back and forth yet. Wow, that's tough. Well, it's interesting because just as somebody who thinks about spaces and energetics and it's like just being in that room with all of these portraits of all of these like old white colonizers mm-hmm. um you know i just sit there and wonder like how fair of a shake could like our values even get like in this space right. you right. know what i mean because it's so steeped in that old mentality mm-hmm. and i think you know that's what we're really seeing um is this kind of generational clash right that we're very hyper aware of um and so, yeah, it's just interesting because we really are at this, like, turning point. And obviously, one of the things that we're hoping to do is, like, get more young people engaged because, you know, when more people vote, it it, it goes more progressive. Absolutely. And, like, democracy is something that requires an activity on your part, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can't be that... Well, I know it's hard to get to a public hearing on a Thursday for three hours, um, and so I'm not going to be able to get to that. But there's got to be some level of engagement where you can show up at the important times. And whether it's, uh, you know, testifying or voting, like these things have to have to have your influence somewhere along the way. And we have a responsibility to find ways to do that. Right. How do we plug in um, with with folks where they're at? How do we meet people sort of where they're at? Um, and we haven't we have not figured out the recipe for that. Right. In our right. city or in our country, in our state, because we know just what voter turnouts are. And we know that there's just outwardly more influence among populations that aren't seen. Right. There are right. more more influenced by populations that are seen and those that aren't seen oftentimes aren't part of the policy making. Yeah, too often. I, I, I frequently draw the parallel. It seems like there is a pretty clear parallel between sort of like the national we have this like vocal minority that like shows up and votes even though i think the vast majority of people in this country are their values are more progressive um but it is that vocal minority that's like showing up and 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 voting and i i think that's that translates to here um too right absolutely happens all the time I mean, it happens all the time where, and that's when we see it with the zoning laws right now, where you need a super majority that's even creating more of a, you know, of a hurdle to get over. Yeah, exactly. As we've noticed. Yeah, I I was just like astounded by that because as, uh, you know, some of our listeners might know, we were doing um, a lot of work with affordable housing, which you're a huge champion of. Um, and we really appreciate that. But, you know, we needed these um, super majorities in the city council in order to get these um, things passed. And, you know, unfortunately, while there was a clear majority, um, we couldn't get to that super majority. Um, and it's, you know, again, because of this so- sort of very vocal and engaged minority. Um, so I think that, like, one of the things that we really want to get across is not just here in Salem, but in but but in general, like, you may get the sense that, like, everyone around you is really progressive and like it's going to be fine and like everybody's going to like vote and duh of course we all want universal health care and we all want student loan forget but that's not true right right and the people that disagree with that vote 
Yep. And, and it's also not um, simplistic, right? There's, there's complexities that are involved. And if you're not engaged in understanding the policies, it's really hard to get to an outcome without everyone just arming battle stations, which is what's happening nationally, right? right? We can't figure out immigration reform, like the most important, one of the most important, you know, aspects of our economy, our education system as a country and our value system. And we can't figure out some pathway to get to immigration reform. That, to me, sums it up in so many places. Mm. Um, a country that you know was, was born on the backs of immigrants can't figure out immigration reform. Right. Um, it's, it, it showcases just how partisan things are, and folks are just hunkered down, and today is not Monday, right? If I said today's Monday, and you're from another party, <laughs> it's not Monday. Uh, and it's so Sunday, too. Exactly. <laughs> it's before Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. No, well, and true. especially in the city of Salem, where we're not only talking about um, immigrants, but we're talking about refugees, too. I mean, getting that sanctuary right. city ordinance uh, worked through was really difficult, and there was so much shadowed language that made you think that people were on a side that they weren't and were supporting things that they weren't um it's it's really jarring to see that and and then seeing six counselors being outvoted by five counselors it's it's almost like we've been told that democracy is something it's not (laughs) well i think in some ways it was also super heartwarming in salem because um, the Sanctuary for Peace Ordinance passed the city council, right, by a majority. There were a group of residents who had concerns, put it on the ballot, passed at the ballot. So when it did come down to, like, brass tacks, um, folks putting, you know, putting it on the line, our community said, no, this is an important value system. We support it, right? A majority of our community did. And I think that um, says something about where we live and why we love it here and there is an ability to have that conversation locally and say, well, this is what it will do. This is what it will not do. Um, and, and, and thumbs up or thumbs down and, and folks could understand it and didn't just respond to, you know, whatever the lightning rod issue was of the day. And I, I like to think of Salem sort of a thinking community, whether it's because of what happened here in 1692, like just this responsibility to think more thoughtfully about policies and most of the time we do. Now, when things happen in a council chamber, you know, you never know where things are going to go and how people are influenced. And um, then there are elections and there are changes. Right. And, and, and so we're really looking forward to, you know, continuing the work in the housing field. You, you guys know this more than anybody. It's going to change the sh- character of Salem. That's what I really, truly worry about. The place that I fell in love with is this, you know, funky mix of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different income levels, speaking different languages. And now that greater Boston is such a hot real estate market, if we don't really go hard on affordable housing through policy, through projects, through initiatives, it's going to change. And I think it'll be less authentic of a community that I moved into, that I'm raising my family in. And that's what's at stake for us. It's it's losing the people that we think make up this place, the fabric of this place. No, we, we so appreciate that you've been such a, a vocal champion of affordable housing and in the city. And you're also using your platform um, to support the housing choice bill, too. Um, can you tell Fingers us- crossed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about, like, being the mayor of Salem and endorsing things on a state level? I mean, yeah. what kind of... 
I mean, I think being mayor for 14 years is gives me some perspective and some ability to recognize that um, what happens at the state level has a big impact on our abilities in, in cities and towns, our ability in communities in the 351 cities and towns. And so the governor's housing choice legislation says, look, we need housing. We're going to allow cities and towns to make up their mind where they want to put it. But if you have smart growth zoning practices like inclusionary housing or accessory dwelling units or many of the things we've, we've been talking about, we're only going to require a simple majority of your legislative body to approve it. We're one of the few states, I think, that requires a super majority um, to approve zoning changes. And so this lowers that threshold and supports like sort of higher density zoning by train stations, reductions of parking requirements, especially in an urban setting where we wouldn't want a parking lot in every corner. We have these dense locations that are walkable and more urban and certainly um, places that people are telling us they want to live based on real estate values and what we're seeing. So the housing choice legislation is close. I'm, I'm told that Early 2020 is when we're expecting a vote. Um, that's really important because there are a number of towns that will have town meetings in the spring. Their sort of sessions are different than than the cities. And if the housing choice legislation passes, it will give them a chance to put things like accessory dwelling units um, and inclusionary housing laws and things like that through town meeting this year, as opposed to waiting a full year until their next town meeting. Wow. So it would just make it a lot easier for towns and cities to make their own decisions and you got about it. their culture and who they're supporting. Well, simple majority, like just about everything else we vote on yeah, right, <laughs> um, right, in right. local government. <laughs> if you get six out of 11, in, in our case, because we have 11 counselors, it's usually victorious, except when it comes to zoning. And we've been on those painful voting uh, ends of those voting cycles where it's, you know, seven to four and we lose, right? right. At any place else, seven to four is a victory. So um, we're super hopeful that housing choice legislation will pass because it's more than just about Salem, right? We really need um, more housing units throughout greater Boston. And, and frankly, um, we're, we're just one piece of that puzzle. Right. So what, what do you think, I mean, politics would look like if every mayor in every city was like really endorsing the right stuff and like getting everybody on board? I mean, what would that end up looking I like. I think we're really fortunate on the North Shore. There's a lot of collegiality. So between Lynn, Salem, Peabody, Beverly, um, as the cities, Danvers, Gloucester, even on, in Cape Ann, there's a lot of um, camaraderie and collegiality to sort of support each other and work as a region uh, to, to you know, move the needle when it comes to affordable housing. Uh, both Salem uh, Beverly and Peabody, all three of us have signed on to an affordable housing pack to increase affordable housing units. That actually puts us higher up on the list for funding from the state to support that. So there's a real recognition that we're sort of stronger to, together and not a competition cycle. Like I want downtown Lynn to do well. And I, you know, we want, you know, things going well in, in Beverly along their coastline and what they're working on. Cause it, look, we're all in each other's backyards. You may live in Salem and you might work in Beverly or you might work in Peabody and eat in Salem and you know, vice versa. So um, the economy isn't just based on the strength of one community. It's really regional. If we could, I mean, there are strength in mayors for sure. We're advocating, you know, I think for things that we think make sense for our individual communities and then collectively for the state. If it's working in a place where you live, it's probably good for our entire Commonwealth. Um, speaking of the North Shore and being on a coast, I know that you're very aware of climate change. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and the need it. to address it. 
Um, we've talked on here and we'll probably go into more detail down the line about sort of, you know, our generation having climate anxiety. Um, so I just wondered, I mean, we don't need to get into like nitty gritty nightmare details. Um, but you know, just like what kind of responsibility do you feel like you have, um, in addressing it in both sort of just practical ways, but also like symbolic ways, you know? It's such, um, I've described climate change as like the elephant, like how do you tackle it, right? And it, like like eating an elephant rather, and how do you tackle it? And it's sort of like one bite at a time, right? There's right. so much to do. We're a coastal community. Um, when you look at sort of the projections of what's going to happen with sea level rise, a large portions of Salem are going to be underwater. What do we do about that? Some of that's historic property like Derby Wharf. Some of that's homes, right? If you think about the Willows or some of our neighborhoods right, right along the coast. And so we're trying to do both the practical things, right? Looking at our seawalls and repairing and maintaining them. But you're not going to seawall your way out of this. So a lot of it has to do with behavioral change. And for us, it's trying to provide some options for folks, whether it's transportation, looking at a citywide shuttle, community car share, get the cars off the road, additional green policies. When it comes to building, we know how much of a carbon footprint buildings can put off and trying to find ways to incentivize sort of the aspects of behavioral change that we know are necessary when people love the flexibility of getting in their driveway, getting in their car and driving wherever they want to go or you know, driving a big SUV like I do with my family, three kids, a dog, always got a couple straggler kids around. <laughs> Seems like a good idea, but there are impacts to it. And so continuing to sort of build an education pipeline around it and also trying to have some practical um, thinking around the actions we take today are going to impact us 15, 20, 25 years down the road and the resources that are necessary. Like One small seawall, millions of dollars, right? So oh, well, I can't even imagine right. like, so what there's, it takes to build something right? like that. So we're not going to seawall our way out of it, but we do need to start thinking about when we're designing parks, okay, we need to expect some portion of this waterfront park is going to flood. Let's not put the community garden there, right? Let's let's move you know things in a way, relocate things, or you know design them in such a way where it can accommodate some of that water coming up because we're not going to be able to stop it. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's like, I think that it's all of our jobs to figure out what we're going to do in terms of climate change. But just having the acknowledgement from folks in power or folks, you know, involved in governing um, goes a long way, you know, and this sort of like ignoring it or it or just, you know, saying it's not real still and just not addressing it at all is so I personally devastating, you know, and, and I think just if we could even get the acknowledgement from um, the higher ups that like, this is a thing, and it needs to be addressed. Um, that would even just like go a long way. Because I do think it's like, politicians aren't going to like fix climate right, change, right. you know, so it is like our, our, everyone on the planet's job, basically, but to not even like acknowledge it in like the United, like in a formal way in the like United States government is just, I mean, truly so frustrating. We're definitely behind the times. I mean, Europe is so far ahead of us when it comes to having the infrastructure. And by that, I mean their transportation systems, their housing models, and they're also 
countries that are smaller in size, right? So they can centralize their approach right. to um, to how we're going to address something. That's part of our struggle, like 50 states, 50 different sets of environmental policies and regulations, some that are superseded by federal policy, which is, you know, going the wrong direction right now. And, and it just makes it way more complex here. When are we going to unify behind this idea that, you know, there's no, what is it, no planet B and no plan B on yeah. this. And it's real. Um, I think it feels to me like we've made strides in the it's real category just by virtue of what people are seeing on the ground. Um, but how we approach it uh, is the behavioral shift, the economic shift. It's going to need to be deeper and faster than we, when we're currently working on it. Most definitely. Yeah. It's and and I'm not going to pay the price for that, right? You guys are and your kids and your grandkids and my grandkids. And that's the worst part about it is we can see the train wreck, right? That's the train wreck right down yeah. there. And nobody's slowing down the train right now. Right. Well, and I mean, so many of our friends and, and people we know joke kind of seriously that like, well, we're not going to have kids because I don't right. know what kind of worlds we would be bringing them into or putting them in charge of. And that's one of the reasons why we really need to get, you know, not your generation and those that are younger to understand that we can, it doesn't have to be this way, right? It doesn't have to be this way. And how do we address it? Right now, we've got the highest deficit in our country's history, and it's not because we invested in infrastructure and we have rapid transit going everywhere. Wouldn't and awesome? wouldn't it be awesome, right? <laughs> or, you know, we, we've made some, you know, big promise to the next generation. We haven't. We've invested in military. We've reduced taxes. Um, and we haven't necessarily made the investments in lots of areas from education to climate change to transportation, yet we still have all the debt. So it's wrongheaded. And I think we're going to need big thinking at multiple levels um, to get it done. And, and that's, that's on the agenda for 2020, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, recently you organized a band of badass ladies to go campaigning for Elizabeth Warren, right? We had like such like boys on the side, like road trip fantasies. We, we definitely like... We'll be doing it again in <laughs> great, 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 we're, we're excited. We were at the end of our holiday shopping yeah. uh, season and very tired. So we'll, we'll be on the next one. Salem, sure. Mass to Salem, New Hampshire. Well, that's our goal is to really, uh, you know, have a, sister, a sister city relationship for the 2020 election and work hard. It was a ton of fun. Any, anyone who's been canvassing and says they didn't have a good time, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? That's cool. So do you sort of officially um, support Warren? Yeah, no, I love Senator Warren. I think she's just been, you know, such a truth teller in so many ways with respect to um, being able to take big data, big information and chunk it into distill it down into like, this is how this impacts you. And that started out with obviously all the things she did in the consumer lending field. And today it's in, you know, so much of the policy that's driving and propelling her campaign that I think would be good for our country. And I'm hopeful that other folks will agree with me about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always like tell the story. The first time I encountered Elizabeth Warren was on a um, really good documentary about credit card debt um, called Maxed Out. Um, which, you know, again, I don't know many people our age that don't have credit card debt. Um, and I, I and she was a Harvard professor at the time, just as a talking head in this documentary. And I was like, that woman is brilliant and like gets it and like is talking about consumer debt in a way that isn't shaming people who have it. 
And I love that. And then it was so exciting when she ran for senator and I lived here and I was like, oh, my God, that brilliant woman from the credit card documentary is going to be my senator. Amazing. And um, definitely she's one of our one of the candidates that we support. Um, I would say Bernie would be the other one. And I think either one of them would do a fantastic job. Maybe they'll team up. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. It would be, but I don't see that happening. <laughs> um, In a perfect world. I mean, I think there's a lot of good Democratic candidates, I should also say. I'm supporting Elizabeth Warren. I think she's terrific. I think she's so smart, so capable um, that we'd be lucky to have her. But I also think there are other good candidates, too. And what we really need to do is make sure that while we're working for our individual candidates, collectively at the end of the day, we end up with um, somebody strong because the forces on the other side, um, who again would disagree with us that today's Monday, it's just so partisan that we we are going to ultimately need to come together. Whether it's you know every all those other supporters, Biden supporters, Bernie supporters, Pete Mayor Pete supporters. Mayor Pete's a great guy. I've met him several times. We're part of a similar organization, and um, very smart, very capable. Um, so in any event, we need to really <laughs> figure out how to undo what's been happening the last four years. And I think that's, you know, yeah, that's think, the key. I think it's really important that whoever it is, is not status quo. Yeah. You know, I mean, yep. it's obvious, like status quo didn't, didn't beat this, this tide of um, insanity in 2016. And I don't think it will yeah. in 2020 either. And, you know, the stakes are very high this year. So even higher, right? Four years is one thing, eight years is another. And um, I mean, if you've ever had the chance to be out of the country, people are just look at the United States in a very, very different way. And I think that's also at stake is our reputation, you know, internationally. So interesting. Thank goodness the Brits are screwing it up, too, because (laughs) (laughs) I was over there earlier this year and you know, every time I would sort of be like, I'm so sorry about Trump, you know, they would be like, hey, we have got our yeah, own yeah. mess over <laughs> yeah. here. Um, but yeah, it's really just like Angela Merkel is just holding it down for like Western democracy and Thank God, common sense, right? I think, right? Strong spine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Definitely. So do we have any other questions? I mean, I think that that was all I had in my notes. Obviously, there's so much more to talk about. Thank you so much for being here. This is like such an honor. And, you know, I've just admired you uh, for so many years and again, have have joked that I want to take over when you're you're ready to move on. I mean, do you have any other? I guess my last question would be like, do you have what are your um, you know, you can certainly stay mayor of Salem forever. We would we would support that. We would love that. It's really up to the people who live here. (laughs) Do you? you, (laughs) Right. so, I mean, do you have any plans for the future that you want to talk about? Or... I know. My kids are getting older now, which yeah. is nice to see them becoming little people with opinions and, and, uh, and young adults. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to transition to something else. They were really young when I when they were three, five and eight when I first ran uh, for office, which is also challenging, but um, great to be working and, and living in the same place. And maybe like I love what I'm doing. I get up every day pretty excited to go to work at City Hall and... We've got, I think, some some plans that I want to stay and see completed. Um, but I also think that these skill sets are things that might lend itself to something else. So never really want to close the door on it. But it's a great job. I'm lucky to be here. We're lucky to have you. 
the freezing rain is starting. So Can you believe that? <laughs> That's right. <our> cue. <laughs> That's our cue. Um, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, we'll thanks we'll guys. The vote. Keep it going. Yay, thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Mayor Kim for her brilliant remarks, as always. If you would like to um, see, read, or hear more about us, you can find us on the World Wide Web at um, whichthevote.com, on Instagram at whichthevote, um, our email if you'd like to reach out and tell us maybe um, something you'd love to hear about on the podcast or just tell us how awesome we are um, is whichthevote at gmail.com. And um, for local folks especially, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash whichthevote. She got it. <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in hanging out in person, getting involved in Massachusetts politics, Salem politics, definitely find us on Facebook. And please keep reviewing and rating us on iTunes and Spotify. It's really helpful for getting everybody else witching and voting yes let's grow this network let's weave this web let's get the witches on board yeah and remember casting a vote is casting a spell bye bye witches (laughs) 